If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And while you're turning there, can I just shout out a big happy birthday to Marie Titus, 90 years young. Where is she? There she is. All right. 90 years, still driving. Stay off the roads. She is a joy to have at Clover Hill. Happy birthday, Ms. Titus. We're excited for you. And we are in a series called Unlikely, and we're looking at the uh, different Bible characters in the Bible that have made a, had an impact, made a difference. And if you look at their lives, they would probably kind of look unlikely. Today, we're going to study the life of Elijah. Before we get there, well, we are there. It's, we're there now. But let me, just ra- let me just give you some background, our backdrop of what's going on. The nation of Israel was God's people chosen people to really raise up and, and built up to bring Jesus in the world, where, where that through them, Jesus was going to come, Jesus was going to die, Jesus was going to resurrect from the grave, so that no matter what you've done or where you've gone or what you're about, that if you'll put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, that he can save you and change you and redeem you and make you new by his power and by his grace. This week, I was talking to a guy that they're wanting to get married, him and his fiance, and just got saved about six months ago, and and uh, he, I, I just asked him, well, what's the Lord doing in your life? And he said, well, let me give you this example. I was out on the softball field. I coached my girls' softball team, and I cussed at the umpire last week. And uh, after I cussed, I really felt bad. I had to apologize to the umpire. I had to apologize to all my team. I had to apologize. wrote an email to the parents. It really bothered me. He said, six months ago, I wouldn't have just cussed at the umpire. I would have went and hit the umpire. And so God, is that he just was saying, life is just better with Jesus, and, and it's making my life better. My money's better. My relationships are better. My, my everything's better because of Jesus. That's, that's what Jesus wants to do for you. That's what Jesus wants to do in you. The nation of Israel was brought up, raised up, to bring Jesus into the world. But, but Israel had gotten off track, which was kind of their custom. You study their history. They were up, down, up, down. At this particular point, 19 consecutive evil kings had ruled on the throne. And with 19 kings, there was, they were in a downtime. 200 years uh, of really uh, not the righteous ruling, but the evil ruling. And at this time, in Elijah's ministry, a guy by the name of Ahab was king over Israel. And, a- and Ahab, here's what the Bible says about Ahab. He did more evil in the eyes of God than any of those before him. So he, out of those 19 wicked kings, he was the most wicked. He was the most vile. One of the things he did... They got him off track as he married a woman by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel was a Phoenician princess, and, and Ahab's thinking was, hey, I'll marry this woman, and she lives in a port city, and I, it, it's really a financial move, not a soulmate move. He decided to marry on what it would do for him uh, prosperity-wise. And can I just pause there and just say, young person, young adult, now you that are back on the single field, it, it, it matters who you marry. It matters who you marry. You know what Paul said? He said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Here's the picture. It's like an oxen, two ox yoked together by, you know, kind of what a yoke is. And here's what they understood. One, if one ox could pull a certain amount of power, then two ox could, could double the power. But it wasn't so. One could do a certain, two could do more than double. It's what we call synergy. And the two working together, pulling together, accomplished more, did more than any 
one individually. And that, that's how God wants your marriage to be. He wants two people that are going after God, that are serving God, that love Jesus, that that's their priority relationship, moving forward together, yoked together, uh, burned together, put together, so that they're moving forward in the things of God. And when you're yoked to an unbeliever, you're going in different directions. So just imagine two ox with the same yoke going, pulling different ways. One wanting to go this way, the other one wanting to go there. Not only would no work get accomplished, but it would be exhausting. I, I, I just, I just want to warn you. I'm just, I just, I love you. I, I want to, it matters who you marry. And, and, and Jezebel, Ahab said, well, I can change her. And, and that's what a lot of people think. Well, I'll change them. And it didn't happen. And what happened was, is Jezebel took Ahab even further than he was at the time. And he, he was thinking, I'm going to export and import goods. She was thinking, I'm going to export the one true living God. And I'm going to import all these false gods. I'm going to bring Baal into our worship. Oh, you can have a little bit of Jehovah God worship. You can do your Jewish customs. But I'm going to integrate and I'm going to sprinkle it. And, and eventually it's going to take up where you're worshiping the Baal God, which is the fire God. It's even said that, 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 uh, that Ahab sacrificed his son to the fire God, uh, hoping to be granted his favor and, and his goodness. And so there, there's all this pagan worship, sexual immorality that's too, too, uh, just, just too bad to even try to talk about. And so God says, OK, I've had enough. I'm going to raise up a man. And that's what often God does when there's a culture that needs changing, when there's a church that needs shifting, when there's a community that needs to, to, to regain attention. He'll raise up he'll raise up a teenager to stand for purity and, and walk in righteousness at, a, at their local high school. He'll raise up a young man or woman or an older man or woman to get involved in the political system so that they can start uh, pursuing and pushing the agenda of God, not, not some man-made man agenda. He'll raise up a pastor that will stand for and come against apathy and complacency in the body of Christ. He'll raise up a lady that will, that will be passionate about foster children and foster care and try to make a difference. See, when, when God wants to do something, he'll often raise up one person to make a div, big difference. And Elijah comes on the scene, and, and he comes, kind of comes out of nowhere. All we know about Elijah is he's a Tishbite. That means where he's from. And he's also hairy, and he wears a belt. So I'm thinking Chewbacca, hairy, belt, Tishbite, Chewbacca. So Chewbacca comes into King Ahab's presence and says, it's not going to rain, and you're not going to see dew until I say, until I pray to God for it to come back. And, and, and I'm sure at first Ahab, you know, I'm the who is this? Who's the hairy dude? They're laughing at each other. What, what kind of prediction is this? What, 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 who does Chewbacca think he is? Until there's no rain or no dew. And now they got to find him. Now they're looking for him. Where is this hairy belt wearer? Where is this guy who has said there's no dew and there's no rain? And, and you got you to remember, we, they lived in an agriculture uh, uh, economy. And so they, they were dependent on farming and, and grain and wheat and, and livestock to be their provision. No rain and no dew, dew meant that things weren't going to grow and cows weren't going to. They were at a place where they were trying to decide, do we let the cows die, which is their food, or do we let the horses die, which is their transportation? I mean, it would be like us going to Wawa and there's no gas. Going to the bank and not only couldn't you borrow money, but you couldn't even get your own money up. Go, I mean, the, the Verizon, wireless, there's no phones, it's not working. Everything about life as you know it has been shut down. That's what they're going through. There's drought, there's sickness, there's disease, there's death. 
And, 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 it, and it's, it is a matter of life and death. And, 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 and you say, well, what's going on? I think God's trying to get their attention. Sometimes God does things to awaken us to where we are. And sometimes we think, well, God, you're not very loving. And, and, and in fact, it's the most loving thing he can do. Because there is a way which seems right to a man, but it ends in death. Often we're going our own way, doing our own thing, pursuing our own dreams and going after our own goals. And it's leading us in the opposite direction of which God wants to take us. And, and God's heart is, I don't want you to be destroyed. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to get caught up in this stuff that's not going to give you abundant and everlasting life. So I might have to put up a roadblock or get in your way or, 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 or do something in your life. See, your pain has a purpose. It can, it, and the purpose is hopefully to draw you back to the living God, to get you back in a place where you want to serve him. Hey, I've tried to get your attention. I can't get it. You're going the wrong way. So I'm going to have to. That's what he did in Romans chapter 1. The people wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to live in immorality. They wanted to go their own way. And so God gave them over. Okay, you want to do that? Go ahead. And now you're going to bear the consequences of it. You've not seen the pain, the hurt, the agony. You've not seen the disease and the destruction that's going to come because of your sin. Why? Was he, was he not loving them? No, he was saying, man, my hope is, my goal is that they'll open their eyes and realize that I want to help them and come alongside of them. It's the same thing with the prodigal son when that father let him go. Sometimes God lets us go so that we'll get in the pig pen and open our eyes and come to our senses and say, God, I need you. And God's always there to embrace us and always there to help us. I think what God is doing in the life of the Israelites is trying to get their attention. I've been trying. I've been coming after you. I've been pursuing you, but you won't respond. Therefore, no rain, no dew until the man of God says it's going to rain. And it's going to do. So, so Elijah runs off for three years. He's hiding in the Kareth Ravine where he is being fed by a raven and getting water from a brook. Even the word Kareth Ravine, it means, the word Kareth means to be cut low or to brought low. I think what God is doing to Elijah in those three years, he's humbling him. He's saying, hey, I'm going to humble you privately so I can use you publicly. Again, it's, a, it's another season. Some of us get so worked up when we go through a challenging time or, or a difficult place and, and we cry out, where are you, God? When in reality, a lot of times he's right there with us, shaping us and molding us and helping us. And when, and when Elijah comes out of, the, uh, out of, of this Corinth ravine, he's more passionate, he's more on fire, he's more in line with the heart of God, and he's ready to meet the king. And so he goes and he finds him and says, uh, let me get to it. It says, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? So Ahab, he, he points his bony little finger to Baca and says, you're, you're the reason we're in this mess. You're the reason we're having this drought. You're the reason people are, are dying. You're the people, you're the reason that, that it's not rained or due. And, and I think, I mean, we, we see this a lot in our culture. A few weeks ago, it's been maybe a couple months now, we had a... Uh, a town hall meeting. This is what. Let me tell you what happened if you don't know about it. But Amanda Chase has been going to our church for a long time. She's a she's a Virginia senator. She's been here and her husband Mike. They've been a part of a church 15, 17 years. Great people. Love Jesus. Heart for God. Hey, Pastor, we we would like to use Clover Hill, the facility, to have a town hall. We'll just gather some people, and and I'm thinking, okay, we'll have some debate. It might be heated, but it'll be good, and we'll get to know her heart a little bit, and we'll we'll learn about the policies and the things that are going in place. And and she invited David Bratt, which is another. He's a U.S. congressman, and and, uh, and again, I didn't know. I didn't. I I thought 50 people would come, and and I thought, you know, we're just going to listen to. 
I mean, I love, I love Amanda. Let me, we're just going to listen to politics, you know, just these guys kind of run and tell us what's going on and everything. But I didn't realize the problem that we had stirred up until I get a call from the Chesterfield County Police Department Monday morning saying they needed to meet me at Manchester High School. And when I went over there, there was 50 police officers, SWAT team, uh, officers, undercover officers, officers in uniform. And there, Pastor, we've got some intel that something bad could happen at the event tonight. There's some people that go around from event to event trying to stir up problems and cause issues. And, and I'm like, well, this is a church, man. They're not going to do that. We're just going to get together. We're going to hang out. We're going to, you know, take communion together, break some bread. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be, it's, we're going to leave better than when we came. And, you know, I'm, sometimes I'm the ultimate optimist and sometimes it's, it's wrong. And so I drive on the property. I knew we were in trouble when the lady shows up at 2 o'clock. She needs to be working, but she's here because she goes from place to place trying to cause cat. The event didn't start till 7. It sold out in like 12 hours. They ran out of tickets. They ran out. I get here. They're picketing on the side of CNN is here at 4 o'clock setting up their trucks trying to get 40 news agencies come to this little town hall that I thought 50 people were going to come to. And I stand up to open in prayer because that's what pastors do. And they're flipping me off and yelling at me and holding up signs that say, don't use the Bible as a weapon. And I know probably a few of them were good people there, but the majority were there just to cause problems. The majority, Dave Bratt tried to talk. Everybody was yelling over him. It was for an hour and a half. It was just chaos. I, I, I'm like, Senator, why, Congressman Bratt, why would you even do that? That, that? that was so, they just went from place to place. And they were trying to, that, trying to blame me for, like, I'm the trouble. That, they started yelling, tax the church. You want to fix America? Tax the church. That's the best way to fix America. It's almost like Ahab is looking at Elijah and saying, you're the troubler. You're the, no, I just want people to get saved. I just want marriages to stay together. I just want people to get off drugs and alcohol. I just want people to know the living God. But that's what Elijah wanted. But, but Ahab was saying, you're the troubler of, of Israel. And I wish I could have told him what Elijah said. And he said, I've not made trouble for Israel. You and your fathers have. You have abandoned the Lord's command. And you have followed the, the, the Baals. Hey, Ahab, you know better. You know we're Israel. We, you know we're God's chosen people. You know we've been set apart for a purpose. We're, we're, we're here to bring in the Messiah. We're here to bring in the Savior. And you have fallen from that. You've drifted from that. You've walked away from that. Did you really think that serving these false gods was going was to make things better? Did you really think that, that, that offering children's sacrifice to Baal was going to get his blessing? Was going to make your life different? Elijah's confronting a polytheistic culture, a polytheistic nature, uh, nation where they're trying to serve both gods. And I want us to stop there and just think about it. We don't live in that culture now. We say we're monotheistic. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you say you have one God, and it's Jehovah God. But oftentimes, we say we're monotheistic, but we live polytheistic. Where we say we have only one God, but our actions and our, and our lives live out that we have many gods, that we have set idols up in our hearts. That, no, we don't serve Baal or Asher, but an idol is not just a carven wooden image. It's anything that gives, gets our allegiance, our devotion, our priority other than God. And sometimes it can be a good thing. In the case in my life, there's been seasons in my ministry where my ministry has become an idol, where, 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 I, where what I do has become more important really than who I am. That I've tried to use this church to get my fulfillment into my identity. Where, where growth, I'm hoping, will satisfy me. And admiration for my peers will, will fulfill me. And recognition from the community will provide that magic pill that I'm looking for to make me complete 
and holy. And I do it in the name of God, but sometimes it can become my God. And it gets all my focus and all my attention and all my energy. I'm dedicated to serving and building and growing the local church. And you say that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing if you don't allow it to become more important than your relationship with Jesus. If you don't allow it, to, that, that if your success and, and failure is predicated on the fact of how many people come or how many people serve or how many people are in small groups rather than my relationship with Jesus Christ. See, I'm not a pastor first. I'm a child of God first. And everything ought to flow out of that relationship. My number one priority is not growing a church but allowing God to grow me. And it's the same with you. It should be whatever you do or wherever you're at. I need to spend time with him not just to get a message but to know his heart, to understand his will, not just to make a request to him but to understand what he wants for my life. I want to be able to, like Paul, to say... Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Everything I've accomplished, everything I've done, everything I'm a part of, it's in pale comparison to my relationship with Jesus Christ. He says it's rubbish, it's dung, it's foolishness. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Maybe. Maybe we're not walking in this. Nothing compares to the surpassing greatness as knowing Christ Jesus is Lord because we've not allowed him to remove the idols and the passions and the plans that we have that don't align with what he wants. Where we've allowed. So, so some of you are saying, man, I, I, I think I've made a commitment to the Lord, but I can't say this with integrity. I can't say that nothing compares to the surpassing greatness as knowing Christ Jesus is Lord. Maybe because there's still idols in your heart. Maybe because there's a mixture. Maybe because with your mouth you're saying you're monotheistic, but with your actions you're polytheistic. Maybe, maybe because you've not allowed the Lord to remove. Maybe it's because you're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Maybe, you can amen or you can just look. You can do whatever you want. Maybe... Maybe, maybe you've, not, maybe you've not pursued this relationship as the ultimate relationship. Therefore, you're not experiencing all that God has for you. And, and therefore, we can't say, nothing compares to my relationship with Jesus. See, see Elijah just wants them to get a place where, where your relationship with Jesus is, is, is fully and finally satisfying. That it's, that it's making a difference in your life. See, false gods only promise what the true God can provide. I want a sense of success, accomplishment. So I'm going to work and work and work and work and work and work and work. And all that makes me do is want to work harder and harder and harder. I, I, want, I want to know love. I want sexual fulfillment. So I'm going to go on the Internet and look at pornography because that's fully going to satisfy me. That's going to set false gods. I'm, I, I need security, so I'm going to put more money in the bank and I'm going to get more stuff. That's a false god. This, this false god, you think you can get security and money? You think you can get satisfaction and immorality? You think you can get your achievement in position and power? They, it's just, it's lying to you. False gods only promise what the true God can provide. If you want, if you want all there is in life, if you want purpose, if you want meaning, it's got to be in the pursuit of making Jesus your Savior and your King and your Lord. So he gets them all together. And he says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And Mount, Mount Carmel was uh, known back then as where the, where the Baal God lived or where the fire God dwelled. So he's getting them on their ter territory and he's saying, come and we're going we're gonna to bring, bring your 400. Ahab, bring your 400 prophets 
450 prophets of Baal and your 400 prophets of Asher who eat at Jezebel's table. And my first reading with that, I thought, well, that's a big table to have all those people at it. But that's not, that's not what Elijah's saying. What, what's happening is here, who you allow to eat at your table, who you surround yourself with is who's influencing you, who you're listening to, who you're getting counsel from. And so Jezebel's opened up her home and up, opened up her life to all these false gods, to all these false prophets. All, and, and you say, well, again, I'm not listening to a false prophet. Who, who are you listening to on the radio? Who, and I don't, I don't, I'm not on a soapbox. I'm trying to help you. I love you. And, and I, know, I know you're thinking about giving me a gift. You know, I'm hoping on the 18th. And right now you're thinking, I'm not giving you anything. So, so I, I know I'm treading and I, 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 I'm saying, but, but maybe the things you're listening to, the things you're a part of, that maybe you got people sitting around your table that aren't pushing you on in your relationship with Christ, but are holding you back from what God wants to do in your life. She had all these, these false gods sitting at her table. And Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The word picture is like a bird uh, just hopping from from perch to perch, can't decide on which tree they want to build a nest in. And so they just go back and forth, undecisive and unwilling to make a commitment. And what Elijah is saying is, hey, choose a side. There comes a point in your spiritual journey where you got to decide. I'm not talking to seekers today. There are some people that are just still trying to figure it out and, and are still trying to come to a, a realization that there is a God and that he's good and he's loved you and has a purpose for your life. But many of us today have been saying with our mouths that we serve God with all our hearts, but our actions are saying otherwise. And, and, and Elijah is saying, hey, man, it's time to serve. It's time to choose a side. It's time to get on a team, just like Joshua said. Who are you going to serve? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Just like Jesus said, oh, you want to come and follow me? Then deny yourself, pick up your cross, and let's go. Just like John told the church at Laodicea, you're, you're lukewarm. I would rather you be cold than lukewarm. Because of your lukewarmness, you're going to get spit out of the mouth of God. Hey, nation of Israel, you're God's chosen people. You've been, you have been bought with a price. You, you have been set apart for a divine purpose. It's time to choose. It's time to make a decision. Quit wavering. You want heaven, but you don't want to live holy. You want the blessings of God, but you don't want to follow the commands of God. You want the rain, but you don't want to walk in obedience. You want the power of God, but you don't want to live in his presence. You want the benefits of serving Jesus without the battle that comes from being one of his. You want a sedative that will ease your guilt and allow you to live in disobedience rather than come to Christ and allow him to transform your life from the inside out. You know what Elijah is saying? Quit claiming you have Christ and living like you don't know him. Pick a side. If it's Baal, then serve him. If stuff is your God, then work more and give less and max out your credit cards. If you're going to do it, quit tipping God in the offering plate. Quit acting like you're going to live on a budget. Buy it, get it, accumulate it till your heart's content. If sexual pleasure is your God, don't let a small commitment like marriage get in your way. Don't hold back. Go for it. Live in lust. Fulfill every desire that, that you have, regardless of who it hurts. If you're going to have an idol, if you're going to, give, going to give your allegiance, just do it. Give your energy, your focus, your heart to something else. Quit tiptoeing around. Dive in. Fully submerged. But if it's going to be God, then follow me. If you're going to get on my side, 
Then make me your passion. Make me your pursuit. Make knowing me your top priority. Find out what I want you to do and do it. Don't just claim you know me and, don't, and then don't live like I exist. Quit wavering. Pick a side. Choose a team. And here's what they say. The people said nothing. Looked at it. Kind of like you're looking at me right now. Like, what? what's got him all ticked off? What's wrong with that guy? You know, there's another story in Matthew chapter 8. And, and uh, Jesus comes on the scene. He gets out of a boat. Two demoniacs come running up to him. And these demoniacs, the, all the Bible says is they're, they're extremely violent. And they live in the tombs. And, and it says because of their violence, nobody could go outside. So their children can't play. You can't go on a walk. You can't go fishing in the neighborhood pond. These guys are, they're just causing chaos and havoc for everybody. And so they plead with him. The people plead with him. Will you deliver these demoniacs? We've seen what you've done in the past. We know you can do it now. Would you get rid of them? And so Jesus, he cast them out into a herd of pigs. And the pigs go running off the edge of a cliff and they die. And once the pigs die... Demons, the demoniacs, are, they're clothed in their right mind. They're healed. They're made right. Everything has changed. The people run Jesus out of town. You got to go, Jesus, because we want you, but we want our pigs. We want, we want you to help us, but not at the expense of our pigs. We want you to come alongside. We want the rain but we still want to dabble. We still want to mess. We, we still want to be a part of this other stuff. A lot of us have that attitude. I want Jesus, but I want my pigs too. Jesus, if it means giving you my all, I can't do it without the pigs. And Elijah's saying, hey, God, it's time to pick a side. It's time. It, don't sit there and say nothing. Either get on or get off. It's time. They don't say anything, so this is what we're going to do. Get two bulls together. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood. But don't set fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but I'm not going to set fire to it either. Then you call on the name of your God. Call on the fire God. Call on the name of Baal. And I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he'll be God. Then all the people said, what you're saying is good. Well, of course they do. They got 750 to 1. They've got on where the fire prophet Baal lives. It's where he dwells. It feels, seems like a good deal, a no-brainer to them. And so they do it. So they took the bull given them, and they prepared it. They cut it. They laid it open. They get it on the altar, and they call on the name of the Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. Aren't you glad you don't have a God that's not willing to answer you in your deepest need? And they danced around the altar they had made. I looked up the dance and I would do it for you, but I, I want you to come back next Sunday. So we're not going to do it. And at noon, Elijah began to, he, he began to taunt them and say, shout louder. Surely he's God. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Maybe he's busy. Some translations say he's at the bathroom. Tell him to pull up his britches, put down the paper. Where is your God? Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's asleep and must be awakened. This taunting, aggravating, making fun of. So they shouted louder. 
and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed. Aren't you glad you don't have a God that asked for your blood but sent his son to shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. He was forsaken so we could be forgiven. He was condemned so we could be changed. He died and resurrected so we could live again. God doesn't ask for our blood. He freely gave his blood so whoever will come to him can be forgiven and set free by his power and by his grace. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. There was no response. No one paid attention. And so Elijah stepped forward. It's his turn. He rebuilt the altar. He prepared the sacrifice. Got the wood ready got water, began to dump out the water all over. Four buckets of water where the trenches were even filled with water. He stepped forward and he prayed. He didn't dance. He didn't cut himself. He prayed. Wednesday night is first Wednesday. We're going to look at James where it says Elijah was a man just like us and he prayed and it didn't rain for three years. I'm going to teach you Elijah's prayer. I'm going to teach you how Elijah prayed. I'm confident that if we'll use the word of God as our standard and as our helper, it, it, our prayer life will go to another level. And here, bring your kids. Just don't let them hear you talking about worshiping God. Let them see you worshiping God. On Wednesday night, let's go after God together and see what he might do amongst us. He prayed, and what did he pray? He prayed, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. I have done all these things at your command. God, I'm not trying to elevate myself. I'm not trying to boost myself. I don't want my name to be great. I want your name to be great. You, you've put me here. You've placed me here. I've been, in the, I've been in the Kenrith Ravine. I know what it is to be humble. God, I'm not God. You're God. I can't cause fire to fall. You can. And so I'm going to pray to the living God for that to happen. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. God, will you please send the fire? I want my, I want my relatives to know you. I, I want my friends to know you. I want my co-workers to know you. They want to, they, they know what it is to walk with God. They, they, I just, God, will you just give them a revelation of who they are? I don't want to be known as great. I don't, I don't want to, I just, here's my motive, God. My prayer is that their hearts will turn back to you when they see your power and when they see your ability. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. Can I, can I pause there? I, where'd they get the water? There was a drought. You know where I think they got the water? And this is assumption. Can't prove it. This is what I think. I think the people had their canteens. They had their camelbacks. They, they brought the little, they're going into the Mount Carmel, this desert place, hot place. They needed water. I think they had a little bit rationed out for the day to make it through it. And when God, when Elijah started challenging to pick sides, you know what I think the water was? I think we're picking sides. We're emptying it out. We're, we're not, we, all these false gods are only promising what the true God provides. They, they made a mark. They, they burned the bridges. They, we're, get, we're all in. You want my water? Here it is. Elijah poured it up. And when the fire of God fell, it licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I was at my son's house the other day. We were having a... Uh, um, they got a little fire pit. We're having a fire. It had been raining that whole week, and we tried to get some wood. And I mean, everything was wet. It was just soaked. 
We put gasoline on it. We put kerosene on it. And don't email me telling me that's dangerous. I know it's dangerous, but that's what we did. And we had all the paper ready. We could not get that fire lit to save our lives. We just couldn't have a fire. Couldn't find any dry wood. You say, well, I'd believe in God if, if he would have sent fire on that, on that wood. If, I mean, I, I thought about it. Why don't I just do like Elijah said and say, God, just reveal your power and just, you know, just spark that fire just like that. Why doesn't God do that anymore? Because he did something better. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality God, with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and emptied himself. He gave him himself. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in earth and under the earth. And every tongue will profess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord. He's Lord. He said, I wish he'd send a fire. He doesn't send a fire. He sent his son. While we were yet rebellious, while we were yet in our sin, God, by his grace and his mercy, sent his son so we could be redeemed and we could be changed. He is Lord. Amen, everybody? Why don't you stand to your feet with me, will you? And I want you to ask yourself this question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I think if we're honest, we all have idols in our lives. We all have things, pursuits, ambitions, people that we have tried to allow to, to meet that inner need, to satisfy. We've allowed the world's thinking. We, we thought these false gods, what they promised, only God can provide it. Maybe you need to remove something. Maybe you're here today and, and you're trying to live in both worlds. You're, you're walking in both lanes. You're, you're, you're trying to follow God some and, and live like the world. It's, it's decision time. Some of you, you've been wrestling this for weeks, and this message is just a confirmation of what God's been telling you in your heart. That you're not in, that you're not fully committed, that you're not fully devoted. You know what we do sometimes? Sometimes we ask you to raise your hand. Sometimes we just lead you in a prayer. This morning, I'm going to invite you to the front. If you got a, if you got an idol in your life, it's not. Maybe you've been safe for a long time, but there's something in there. It's causing you to drift. Maybe you've got people around your table that are influencing you such a way that are pulling you away instead of pushing you toward. Maybe today you just want to recommit and, and say, God, I, I'm choosing. I'm choosing again. You're Lord. Maybe you're not born again. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. He's here today to forgive you and, and to cleanse you and to walk you. You can leave today with the forgiveness and the promises of God. Pastor Trevor, the, the worship team is going to lead us in a course in just a moment. If you need to get right with God, if you need... If you need to decide today, if you need to choose a team, if you need to lay down an old idol, I'm going to ask you to come. Lord, I pray right now that, that fear would be gone in the name of Jesus. Lord, you didn't send fire from heaven today, but you sent, you sent fire in the form of your son. You sent fire in the form of your Holy Spirit. And I pray today that as we step out, that you will consume us, Lord. That you'll consume the junk and the trash and the, and the, and the immorality and the things that are interfering and affecting us in our relationship with you. 
God, I pray that faith will arise. I pray that courage will arise. Lord, I pray that we would seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and all these other things will be added unto us. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be satisfied with the things of this world, but we would grab hold of you today, that we would decide that though none go with me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind me, I have decided to follow Jesus with all my heart. So